All right. Shall we do this for the first time in a couple weeks? Sure. Uh, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that's going to laugh in the face of World War Three by uh, talking about some funny books. Yay. I am Max. And I am JR. I will say I don't think it's actually going to be World War Three. I don't think it's going to be good. But well, not it's definitely not going to be good. Uh, World War Three is asking, I think, a little lofty. I, yeah, I think there's a, I think this is going to wind up being kind of like, I think maybe a slightly worse uh, Iraq or Afghanistan in that it's going to be a whole lot of time and effort. A whole lot of people are going to die. Um, and it's not going to improve our standing in the region at all. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of bodies to accomplish nothing. Yeah. If, and I think everyone involved kind of knows that and is like, why are we, with the exception of the people in power, everybody else is like, why would we do this? This is so stupid. Um, it's the war boner and, you know. The people in power on both sides, though. Or no, I have the war boner. I don't I know. know. It's dumb. It's so dumb. All right. News? News. Or, yeah, news. Speaking of war, uh, so yeah. Empire is coming. It's got a Y um, in it. Yes, very very witty. Ha ha. We all laugh. Good time is had by all. Everyone appreciates your Y. Uh, but do they appreciate the Y of it all? No. Uh, but no, the probably not. So there's a whole thing like Hulkling has a sword now. I don't know if I mentioned that part. No, Hulkling has a sword. A lot of things have clearly happened with Hulkling since the last time I checked in on him because you were saying he's Cree and I don't remember that. Well, that was from back during like Young Avengers and the early part of New Avengers. When they dealt with that, and it turned out his dad was Captain Marvel, and his mom was the daughter of the Skrull Emperor. So yeah, um, who eventually became Skrull Empress, didn't she? Yeah, wasn't she the whole shit? I don't know. Secret, Whatever. like the whole reason Secret Invasion yeah. happened because she yeah. straight up. She, because she had her because she when her dad was in charge whose name I actually think I could remember if I gave it some effort. Uh, but when Dad was in charge, he was all, you know, the uh, the Kree and the humans must die. And she was very, like, let's, Dad, let's... let's Dad, let's not. Yeah. And after something happened, maybe the Annihilation Wave, I don't remember, um... After Skrullos was destroyed. Right. After Skrullos ate it. She basically lost her shit and yeah. was like, fuck that then, everybody gets it. Yeah. Um, and not only does everybody get it, but full-scale infiltration of the Earth destroyed from the inside. And Well, they uh, weren't trying to destroy the Earth. They were trying to right. claim it as their new homeworld. Yep. The but whole, anyway. The whole ending of that... So, we can't go one episode without me getting mad about Annihilation. Or not Annihilation, Secret, Secret Invasion. Invasion. That's fine. It's worth it. It's worth it because guess. it was... Uh, 
No, the, the so the thing about it is so Hulkling. If you recall, I do. He was raised by his mom, but it turned out that his mom was a scroll who was keeping him safe. Mm-hmm. She then died trying to protect him when the Kree and the scroll both showed up and were like, "You're a big deal. Come with us." And they were just like, "No, wait. Come with us." And blah blah blah. It was a whole thing. So. They then did a thing back in 2015 where there was like, uh, there was Doric Supreme, who was this ancient uh, hybrid like Teddy, who uh, proceeded to build a coalition of other hybrids created from the Kree and the Skrull uh, because he believed that at a certain point, Things were going to reach a point where it would become necessary for the hybrids to step in and lead everybody into a new dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so those knights found Teddy. He got the sword of Doric Supreme. Um, and he's been using it. Anthony Oliveira, who is... If you don't follow him on, follow him on Twitter, he's really funny. He's gay as hell. And constantly, like, is making, he makes jokes about, like, uh, there was a big thread he did at one point about all of the children's art of Noah's Ark. Always has, like, in amongst the two animals, uh, two of every animal are, like, uh, two lions with manes. Yeah. And he did a big, (laughs) a big thread of gay lions. (laughs) And, uh... So, but he did an he did an issue of uh, of it was from War of the Realms that had Teddy with his sword, and that was the first indication I'd had because I missed the thing in New Avengers, um, and he was literally sitting on the couch in his boxers with the sword on his lap eating cereal. Yeah, <laughs> off of it. Um, but yeah, so. Empire deals with Teddy is now has now taken the reins of what remains of the Kree and Skrull empires, combined them into a single armada, and is now headed for Earth. Um, because when you become a space emperor, you of go, course you try to invade Earth. You go to invade Earth, regardless of how many, many times. That every time you try to do this, uh, half of your galactic civilization is exploded. Um, but you gotta do it, cause... Actually, I'm trying... What, what's the motivation, and who put him up to this? This is clearly a I, kind of evil act. That's, right? that's what I don't get, is that... Teddy was raised on Earth. Yeah, the Earth, he invading Earth him, is never a good guy move. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I don't, look, I get, did Wiccan die? No. Okay. Uh, here's the, here's the thing. I get, if you, if you be, if you were raised on Earth and you were like, uh, you became Space Emperor and were just like, I I have good ideas, 
I think I know what's wrong with my planet. But there are better ways to do that than I'm going to do the thing every space emperor I've ever encountered has tried to do and invade the Earth (laughs) despite the fact that it never fucking works. Well, not only does it not work, but it's detrimental in ways to the invading force that are just astounding. Like, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> it's bad. Don't do it, everybody. The do only not one, invade the Earth the only, if you become head of a space empire. The only one that like sorta had a foothold for a for a while that I'm learning about now is technically a different timeline, and that's the Brood, and they still get their shit pushed in eventually. So yeah. don't do it. Uh, what else we got? Which different timeline are you uh, talking about? Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. oh, you mean the uh, Badoon. The Badoon, not the Brood. Yeah. Sorry. I Well, I was just trying, I was like, the Brood? Are you talking about X-Men the end? Like, yeah. Um, whatever. Anyway, that's really it for news. There's a whole lot of, like, there's a new, there's a new Arab-American superhero premiering in Ms. Marvel. Called the Amulet. Okay. Uh, Is Saladin Ahmed? Yes. Still. Okay. Good. I believe so. G uh, Willow Wilson. I follow her on Twitter, and she, once she found out that it was going to be Ahmed that was taken over, mm-hmm. she was like, "This is fantastic. Yeah. This is the best thing. You guys are in for such a. Go- have you read his Black Bolt? Holy crap! Uh, I still have not read his. It's Black so Bolt. good. Um, I need to. Well, the first. Yeah, it's so good. And, uh, but yeah, it was really exciting to see how excited she was. And then she touches back in with the book every once in a while and is like, he's doing such a great job. Yeah. I, there, I'm trying to, I've been trying to catch up on certain things. I'm, I'm rereading the part of Wicked and the Divine that I read and then finishing it. Um, Oh yeah, because they're on a, both... We were talking to when you arrived. We were talking about both Saga and um, Wickdiv, and I, Wickdiv, I know only has. They were taking a year off too, and they're. I thought it was done. No, they've got another. There's one more trade. So they've got another eight issues. See, I though, and the eight I issues. Because I follow McKelvey on I, Twitter. That was saying he was done with the art. They hadn't oh. published yet. Okay. Um, All right, because I don't think they've published those yet. But then, um, or at least I, and maybe I'm talking. Hold on, <laughs> hold please. Let me check <laughs> Amazon and see if I'm an idiot. But yeah, I uh, I got caught up on Saga and I read Die, and I'm getting caught. I'm getting caught back up on Wikdiv and stuff like that. But I've got a ton of stuff. I was reading Gail Simone's Hot Shots. Uh, as well, uh, the dom- the Domino team book she's been she'd been doing. <laughs> I'm an uh, idiot. Yep. Do what? Volume nine came out months ago. That's what I thought. October. Like. I'm dumb. Okay. 
I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to argue because I could very easily be wrong. Well, October was a strange time for me. We'd just moved back, uh, and I was still putting, yeah, and I don't have enough here. I still haven't, been, I haven't been to a comic shop since we moved back. And that's, mm. we don't have a lot of great options. <laughs> well, no, actually, that's not true. I'm fucking spoiled. My comic shop in Pittsburgh was yeah. Um, so, yeah. If you live in Pittsburgh, Phantom of the Attic, go to that comic shop. Anyway, they're not paying me. But yeah, the amulet. I, he's from Detroit. I know that. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't read any of the current Ms. Marvel uh, as yet. So I haven't. I haven't been really digging into a lot about the amulet because I kind of want to, I kind of want to just read it. Um, but yeah, uh, that's really it for news. Despite our having been off for two weeks, uh, yeah, not a lot happened as far as any announcements or anything. Yeah, I would have noticed. Comics. Comics. Uh, we start this week with Eternals number seven, which is written by Jack Kirby, penciled by Same, uh, inked by Mike Royer, colored by Glennis Ween, and lettered by Mike Royer. Um, <clears throat> so, this issue annoyed the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> because these fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are just awful. Um, they really are. Because, actually, everyone kind of sucks. The only one who's not a complete idiot is Ajax, and even he's like, why would you do any of the thi- Why would any of you do any of the things you are currently doing? Yeah. Please, please stop it. And then the... the so the, the yeah. shield agents we saw at the end of the last issue that were like poking around the dome of energy... Uh, disappeared at the end of it. Yeah. In this issue, we start with um, the professor. What's his name? Uh, Whoops. Fucking hell. Uh, it's Ajak and uh, Daniel. Damien. No. Is that right? Yeah. Professor Damien. Okay. Uh... They are talking, and Damien's just like, This place is amazing! I'm constantly finding new shit to geek out over! And the (laughs) Celestials are like... The Celestials are going out, gathering shit, and bringing it back. And they're bringing these pods. Uh, And in the pods are the compressed atoms of, like, various forms of life from Earth. And Damien's just like, so... One of those could have people in it, and uh, Gammon. Is it Gammonin? Yeah. Uh, Gamemna. Gamemnon. 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 Because there's no M in the, the second part. Anyway, yeah. He's like, oh yeah. Well, speaking of, <laughs> he gives, he bends down and gives Ajax one of the, uh, one of the pods, yeah. and it's about the size of a steamer trunk. And uh, AJ, he's like, you know what, basically, you know what to do, go away. And uh, so they take it inside, 
my, what I love about this is Damien is like upset about the idea of there being people in it. And he's like, lower forms of life are one thing, but people, you understand why that's a little like offensive, right? And Ajak, Ajak is like trying really hard to give him some perspective. And he's just like, dude, you are talking about celestials. They make no differentiation between you and a wombat <laughs> and like grass. They don't care. It's are, all the same to them. You are slightly, slightly better organized wombats. <laughs> like that is, that is, but just compared to them, just barely noticeable. So yeah. <laughs> like, like, we're, Ajak is, we're, edging really closely to like this is this is galactic horror territory like they don't yeah, actually this is very lovecraftian they don't actually they don't pay attention they don't give a shit and i the they only I'm, talk to us because they fucking made us <laughs> yeah that's the thing i like is like ajak is like i'm only marginally better than you and that's literally because i can talk to them yeah that's it like <laughs> and also, I'm the only one that can do that. So. Yeah. Um, but so they they pop the pod into the uh, rehydrator or yeah. whatever, and it reverts these shield agents back to themselves, and they're like, "Fuck!" Um, and so the professor's like trying to explain to them what's going on, and the shield agents they they like. Pump him for information, and then then they're like, "Okay, cool, we got to get out of here." Um, and Ajak and the professor are just like, "No, no, you don't understand. We're like here now for a while, and uh, and the shield agents are not having it. They pull guns. Ajak shuts that shit down real quick. Um, I actually there's this this these." These few panels with them in this room are extremely confused about what what the stakes are because at the the men get rehydrated or the the agents get rehydrated and stand up and Doctor Damon's not even paying attention. He's looking at a whole other thing now. He was like, "Oh, you made men, cool." And they come over and they're like, "You're a professor, aren't you? Oh, this is all fucking weird. Tell us about it." And he's like, still making notes. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're in, you're in the dome with us. Uh, I'm just checking out these artifacts. This place is fucking great for me. <laughs> and they're like, fuck that, guns. Tell us what we need to know about the giants. And then we leave. And he's still looking at his thing, like, realizing there's a pistol in the room. And he's just like, you're not going to need that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to help you here. Um, and uh, Ajak comes in, removes the, the guns from the situation. Everyone... Everyone's basically like, holy shit. Okay, moving on. Like, this, okay. Um, yeah, they pump for information, and then Ajax like, all right, I'm going to tell you a story about, to maybe give you some information so you'll at least stop trying to muscle your way to it. <laughs> uh, so he tells him about the first host, um, which basically was the... Or wait, this is the second host. Well, so um, 
Right, they, no, he tells them about all four hosts. The first host was they came and made ever all of the people. Right, so humans, deviants, and, and uh, Eternals. Second host, they came in and destroyed all the shit because they were like, this is fucking wrong. Um, and that's how we wound up with like Lemuria yeah. and so forth. Uh, and then the third host was like the Incans, and he ju- they just came and were like, just observed. Yeah. But with a lot less gathering, they were just like, it was the vacation host. <laughs> um, and now we're doing the fourth host, and uh, we're going to get judged after the end of the 50 years. Yeah. And, and, all, and the agents basically go, fuck that. We got to fight it. They're like, no, that's not the way this works. And I love this dude Stevenson, the like ringleader of these agents, goes running outside and he's got a miniature nuke which he lobs at one of the celestials. The celestial like stops it in midair and then just like force lifts it into his hand where it then explodes. But and afterward he just kind of like waves his hand a little bit and the others are just like what the fuck was that? And he's like they're they're trying and everything. And so, yeah, it's it's really pathetic. Um, but uh, there then comes a message from the leader of the fourth host, who's called the one above all, who's sitting in a ship uh, high up above the earth. He sends a message that appears as this fucking figure in the sky. It's almost like goddamn purple lightning and yeah. everyone is just like what the shit is that and ajax like that's how they talk what are they saying i have no idea man yeah they're they're this is what i'm trying to explain i can't believe ajax is this patient like that's his other superpower is he's just so patient with all these idiots that are just like but why and he's like i literally cannot say this enough I don't know. We'll never fucking know. Yeah. Like, they are unknowable. Yeah. Um, And so, they... The S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are, like, odd. um, And they're just like, shit, we gotta get out of here. And so they're... This is why I say these guys are so annoying, is because their plan is to literally try to run. Uh... And so they try to get the fuck out of there, at which point the one celestial that's still there is just like, nope, and like turns them back into their cor- their component atoms and puts them back in a pot. Um, and it's just like, cool. Well, that accomplished a lot, you fucking idiots. Yeah. Um, because literally their plan is, let's make a break for it. You are surrounded by an impenetrable dome, you stupid fucks. But whatever. So there's a whole thing about Alpha Day and the judgment of Earth and so on and so forth. And the Eternals are the Eternals are just like cool with all of this. They're just like, whatever. Who gives a shit about civilization? This is the way things are supposed to work. Fuck it. Um so, I like yeah. the thing. I'm a weirdo, 
And the thing I always like look out for is anytime he gives them, anytime he gives the celestials names, I try to keep pay attention to it and remember them. I forget immediately, but I like the fact that they actually have names. I don't know why that's so intriguing to me. Yeah, but like Arshim and Arashem. Arashem, yeah. I forget what the giant fucking gold one is. That shows up in the... Like, outside Miami? Anyway, that's next issue. So let's move on. Uh, uh, so Eternals number eight. Eternals number eight, we, we rejoin uh, some of the other members of the Eternals who are still in New York um, dealing with this professor. And the professor is sort of like ooing and aahing over everything he's learned about... Uh, you know, the real history of the planet, basically. Um, you know, he's got, like, these busts of, uh, of, uh... An eternal, a human, and a deviant. Right. Um, and Cersei... Cersei, Cersei is there, and she's just like, yeah, it's cuckoo banana pants, man. And, uh, Icarus... And, uh, what's her name? Damien's daughter. Uh, fuck. Cynthia? Nope. Um, no. her. Her. And, uh, Makari are all just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Crow is outside on the, on the deck trying to woo Athena and get her to come back to Lemuria with him. Uh, in Lemuria, we check in and they have a uh a captive who is apparently even among the deviants there are the rejects and um there is one reject who is viewed as more horrific than all the others uh and he's literally just like a dude he's a good looking dude um but he's also been bred to be a goddamn killing machine. Yeah. Because, and lives in the arena. Yeah. Um, but they they have his face covered and they take it off and they're all just like, oh, he's hideous. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, so Thena agrees to go back to Lemuria with Crow. We find out that they had a thing. I was looking it up because I was like trying to, so much of the Eternals is based on mythology, so I didn't know if the Athena Crow thing was based on like a myth about like Athena having a dalliance with somebody, you know, yada yada yada. But no, like what they're referring to, according to Wikipedia, literally happened during the Vietnam War. <laughs> like it's not like ancient history. It was just like they fucked and like she got pregnant. And had twins that she forced on some random human woman. <laughs> like, she literally... She literally had the human woman give birth to the twins. And raise them as her own. Because she just couldn't be bothered. Uh, but anyway. So, they arrive um, in, in Lemuria. And there's all this pomp and circumstance... But then it's like, um, it turns out it's purification day 
And uh, Athena's like, what's that? And he's like, nothing, let's go. And uh, <laughs> You're not like, gonna... She's, she's like, no, really. Why are all those people... In, why are all those deviants in that bus? No reason. They're going to... It's a spa day. That's what it is. Pizza party. They're <laughs> yeah. having a pizza party. Um, because he knows that... Fina finds out that they are dumping their rejects into the recyclers or whatever, that she's going to have a problem with that. She does find out because the mob starts screaming at them about how they don't deserve to be a part of deviant society. And she turns to Crow and she goes, what the fuck? And he's like, please not here. He's very, very like, I just hold on. Uh, Like, before you judge us entirely, let's go, let's do the thing. We have a chance. You can fix this later. How about that? And yeah. He, and she's like, I really want to kill everybody. <laughs> That's the thing that I like about Thena throughout all of this is that she she could destroy. It's, cl- it's made clear by the end of the third ep- issue, I think. She could destroy everyone in the whole room, in every room she's in, yeah, easily, and she's just holding it back and yeah. really sort of pissed about it. Um. Anyway, but we see we see how we have a brief thing about how awesome the reject is at fighting, because of course he is. Wherein he's like fucking up his jailers, but so Crow and Crow and Thena arrive at the at the arena. There's a thing where they, like, talk to Toad, uh, um, the, uh, Toad is the guy in charge at the moment, uh, yeah. He's Emperor of Deviants, I don't remember what the title is, just... His Excellency. Who cares? And uh, Toad's like... They have... They have a sort of... I didn't pay attention enough philosophical argument about whether or not having the rejects fight to the death is good. Um, But then they go and watch anyway. Uh... The reject is going to... Yeah, the end of this issue is the reject is going to fight this giant blockheaded red dude named Carcass. Um, and, uh... Oh no! This guy looks like he means fucking business. Will the reject be able to... Will the reject be able to win? And... The, the thing that... I, the one thing I do really like is the fact that the... The... Uh, the teaser for the next issue uh, talks about um, how uh, you know what's about to happen can be stopped but it will take a titanic space god to halt the killing machine and it kind of seems like it's referring to carcass yeah but it's not. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, Eternals number nine. Um, 
Eternals number nine annoys the shit out of me. Uh, the the issue starts and Icarus, uh, Margot, Margot, Margo, uh, and Makari come to Olympia, and while they are arriving, they are attacked by this thing. Icarus fights it, and it turns when he like. Blasts it, it explodes and turns into a different thing. And it's at this point that they're like, I think I know what's going on. And Margo's like, what? So they head down and there's some asshole kid named Sprite. Uh, and he's just fucking with people because he's an asshole. Um, whatever. It, it really, I do not care about this. But Zurus is up there and he's talking uh to one of his advisors i think he refer i don't think this dude even gets a name at the moment uh he may later uh he just calls him domo right which i just assume is just major domo kind of right right right. um but so we then switch and celestials start like appearing in various biomes on earth um, and, uh, like, there's one Eason that appears, like, at a beach, and there's, like, a cruise ship that he just kind of looks at. And this is, this is the one thing that I really, I, I still have yet to be fully sold on Eternals. But this is the one thing I do like about this book, is just the Celestials just, like, being places... And later when Eason pops up in Lemuria, yeah, that page is really cool. I yeah. love that. I mean, the um, design of all of the Celestials is just... Kirby shines. Yeah, it's just Kirby going fucking nuts. And I cannot... This The Celestials are like the, the draw. Yeah. For me, yeah. to Eternals. Like, I'm not really sold on the rest of any of these characters. I do not care about any of it. Um, Icar- um. Icarus is annoying and kind of blockheaded. Makari, I, or Makari, I want to be more fun and cool, and he's just not. Fina's maybe the only one that I kind of like, because she's just like... It, but only in that previous issue, where she's like, I really want to murder everyone in this room. Like... I yeah. really, I just want to. I'm not going to, but I, but I need you, Crow, to know I want to murder everyone in this room, right. yourself included, all of. Them. Yeah. Um. So I kind of like her. Uh, Zerus is a non-entity. Sprite sucks. Margot is. <laughs> Sprite sucks. He does. He sucks so hard. So bad. Uh, Margot is a non-entity. Uh, well, Margot is the dumbest audience standing character I've ever seen. Uh. So uh, Karen, I wouldn't go that I wouldn't go that far, but that's just because I didn't. I'm agree. a Transformers fan. Oh, uh, so sure. There have been dumber, but yeah, she's pretty bad. Uh, but so you only end up reading this because the Celestials might show up next to giant fucking cruise ships. Like Eason is a, amazing. Um, he's between him and Arshim or Arishem. These are the Celestials you think of when you think of Celestials. It's 
fucking awesome. Like six eye things and like just just elaborate shit just popping yeah. up off the top of their head. Like, what is this for? This is the like every single time I they you know they announced three years ago or whatever that they were gonna do an Eternals movie, and at the time I was just like, really, okay. And every single time it kept saying, and they then they announced the cast, and then they debuted the cast, and it's still just like, you're really going to do this? I don't care about who's playing any of the characters. Show me celestial art. That's yeah. all I give a shit. Um, yep. And that's not great. Anyway. Eason goes down into Lemuria, and uh, he's like scanning the ruins and finds the tunnel that leads to the city proper. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we have we have the reject fighting carcass, and uh, the uh, we find out first of all that carcass is able to speak. Oh, and he's super intelligent. Yeah, and he's like, "Why are you like me? Why are you fighting me like them?" And carcass is like, or the reject just the reject just goes fucking sick house on on carcass (laughs) like blasts him in the face blasts him in the legs is on him like an angry gibbon yeah uh, and just starts wailing on him and the jailers come over and they're just like okay okay i think we've decided the fight and he's like and he whips around and turns on them and just proceeds to start wrecking everything it's a they try really... to restrain him, and he is just gut like he is murdering his way through this arena. And um, like it's a brutal ass uh, couple of pages. Like there's one one of the dude like he just straight flying knee kicks into this group, puts one guy down, pops up, grabs the grabs a gun hand in a different guy turns the whole gun around and then squeezes the man's fist so that the blaster shoots him in the face. Like, have you watched The Mandalorian? Not yet. Okay, then I won't say anything. Never mind. Um, But, like, he's just going fucking crazy. And they finally... Is it Dina finally has to step in? Well, I don't know. He tries to attack the crowd. But there's a barrier, and he can't get through. And he's just, like, screaming his hate at them. And Toad's just like, whatever, you know, we got to kill him. Uh, but it's at that moment that Eason arrives in the actual city and the defenses are like attacking him and they can't do anything because Eason literally like reaches out his hand and starts drawing all of the power of the out of the city. And the reject, to his credit isn't just like oh god something's happening like he realizes what's going on realizes that the barrier's gone and now everybody's just fucked (laughs) uh so eternals number 10 this is the issue that has the the splash page that i really like that's just eason towering over uh lemuria as like all of the all of the city's defenses are like shooting at him but like just completely ineffectual right um 
And so, uh, he, I'm trying, I'm honestly trying to remember what even, what purpose this even serves. Well, um, that's his whole, like, that's their whole deal though, right? They come, they observe. Yeah. He, but he's not really trying to do anything. He's just there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like checking in on the deviants, I guess. But whatever. He, uh, he does that and like, um... Then he, he just up, leaves. He ends up uh, flooding Lemuria, the city proper, like the the seawall, for lack of a better to- term, gets breached. Uh, and then he's like, well, I've done all I can do. <laughs> and leave. Thanks. Bye. Uh, we see a couple other Celestials just kind of doing their thing in other places. Um... You know, while while humanity can just stand, all we all humanity can do is just stand by and watch. Zurus uh, attempts to use this device to contact the uh, the ship of the Celestials. He makes contact with something, but we don't really get a lot about what exactly. He, like, he ostensibly made contact with the mind of the one above all. Um, but we don't really get into a lot of what that entails. Um, but he sends his domo off to, uh, oh, that's right. He, he sends the domo off to send out the signal to all Eternals. Yeah. We then see, like, you know, all of the Eternals everywhere are just like, oh shit, Zerus is calling. And Icarus is in the process of spanking Sprite, which I get that he looks like a kid, but he's, like, also impossibly old. So are we really still spanking? Whatever. Uh, so they all go to go... Um... That's, like, a major plot point of... Uh, um... Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman's yeah. Eternals. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Sprite goes running off, whatever. Uh, but they go to they go to heed Zerus's call. Thena, meanwhile, is in the... Um, is in the arena, and everybody flees. Uh, but she's just kind of like, you know, whatever. Uh, the the reject tries to uh, attack them, but Thena deals with his shit real quick. Um, and then she's just like, okay, I've got to go back to Olympia. She offers uh, the reject uh, refuge. And Carcass is just like, I would like to go too, please. And she's like, all right, cool. And so she takes the reject... And uh, and Carcass back to Olympia. Crow is just like, please don't leave. If you leave, everything we have been trying to build will fall apart. And she's like, I gotta go. Zerus is calling. Uh, this is not one of those I'm leaving because I want to kind of things. This is this is the all hands on deck. And yeah. uh, if I don't go, I actually can't imagine a universe in which I don't go. Like, yeah. I always go to this. Um, and, yeah, he leaves, 
And Crow is like, well, shit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, like I, like I said, I, I'm trying. I'm really trying. Thena's because... my favorite part. Like, of the characters, Thena's the one that's cool. Like, yeah. She's the one I can I, I, I like because, she, like, her whole thing at the end of that, of that issue is basically like, okay, so I could have killed you to the reject. But I didn't, because this is whole situation's fucked. And Carcass, so you can come with me to Olympia. And uh, Carcass is like, oh shit, can I go too? And she's like, yeah, fuck it, why not? Like, I just like her whole deal. Yeah. She's the only one that I do, though. Everybody else can go I sit. I really try. I really try. This and for the fourth world stuff, man. I really, I really try, but it... the fourth world stuff is harder for me. I the fourth world stuff I have liked other people's take on it, uh, but like the Jack Kirby fourth world stuff, I just can't, I can't do. Uh, the Forever People, where they combine into the single dude and all of that, I just cannot get into. I do not care. Um, I, you know, and like I, like I said, like, Darkseid's a cool villain, if overused. Uh, but, like, I, I like a lot of that stuff when it's a backdrop to other stuff that's going... Like, when the Justice League is doing their thing, and the fourth world is just like, we're up to shit. And, like, the Justice League has to, like, drop what they're doing and go deal with Darkseid's bullshit. Yeah. Okay, cool. Whatever. Sure. I'm on board. But when it's, like, all fourth world all the time, I'm just like, why, why, am, I, why am I demeaning this? And see, I, that's weird. I agree. I agree with you about that on fourth world stuff, but, like... I am really, really hesitant when we start, because I know this book is going to do it eventually because I think they make him Eternals. Um, starting involving other other heroes in Eternals shit feels a little sacrosanct, right? Like you shouldn't or iconic, no, yeah. iconic in, the, in the case I, in the case of Eternals, I think it should be on its own separate thing. Yeah, because once you, especially considering that. The premise of Eternals is that human mythology is based on these people. Then when you introduce it into the larger Marvel Universe, then it becomes, well, yeah, but we also have the Olympians. But we also have the Inhumans. Right. <laughs> who and so, who, who, so you're telling me that the Celestials came back, found out that the Kree fucked with the humans they made, and didn't go immediately, A, wipe out the Earth because their experiment was fucked, and B didn't go immediately destroy the Cree, uh, uh, the Cree, because they fucked with their experiment. Like, yeah, none I, of that it's works. Just, it's just it. It needs like it's fine. Have it be its own separate thing. Whatever. Yeah, it can be over there, and I don't have to care about it. <laughs> like, but yeah, and and I I in reading about Thena. Trying to find out about the Thena Crow thing. 
the lengths that they've had to go to to make that jibe with uh with the Olympians and everything else on in the Marvel universe is just lunatic because it's just like Thena Thena was named like a Lara or something like that. And Zurus made her change her name to be more similar to Athena because the Eternals became the Olympian gods representatives. And it's just like, it didn't have to be this way. <laughs> like, why did you do this? Anyway, whatever. Uh, Iron Fist number eight. Uh, there's this gang, the Golden Tigers. They try to rob some people. Um, a police officer's like, hey, knock that off. I'm a cop. Um, the Golden Tigers, of course, know that all cops are bastards. So they deal with the, with the police officer. At which point, Iron Fist is just like, nobody beats up cops on my watch. Um, and uh, so he starts dealing with them. And it's, it's very fluid. Like, it's, it's a single line of Iron Fist through the page. Um, and then he winds up, he plants his foot, but slips slightly on a newspaper. Uh, at which point, one of them is able to uh, get a hit in. Um, so, this causes him to be thrown off balance Right as a train comes in, he hits the train and is dragged along into the wall. Um, and then while the train is disembarking, the Golden Tigers uh, make their getaway. The uh, We switch to a short time later when the people who were being robbed are being interviewed by the police. Iron Fist has like the... He, Lieutenant Scarfy gets him a cup of tea, whatever. We have our first uh, appearance by John Byrne in a comic he drew, um, which will become a regular event. I believe they also, if we, if you go back and look at like the page when they're being robbed, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Byrne and Claremont uh, that are being robbed. Um, but whatever, because that's the way Claremont's drawn later as well, I believe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so Burn, they talk about Burn being an artist and he starts like drawing, uh, oh yeah, he sketches drew, for the police. He and drew the, the emblem, he drew the emblem that was on the back of their, uh, right. And then was working on faces. Like, shots of their faces, uh, for the police. And uh, <clears throat> so overheard by all of this is this dude, Bill Howe. Uh, as we come to find out, Bill Howe is connected to the leader of the Golden Tigers. He follows one of their female members back to the uh, hideout um, and, you know, watches as... Uh, 
shut, shit, what's his name? Chow? Chaka. Chaka. Chaka hits this woman and uh, all this shit. Bill is the brother of Chaka, who it turns out is a dude named Robert Howe. Robert is planning, now that Rufio Costa from that Daredevil annual has been removed, uh, he is now planning to step in and take over the Magia's operations. Uh, Cynthia, the woman that Bill follows, is just like, what about a bigger role for the women? And he's just like, shut up and slaps her, basically. Um... Bill is discovered and captured. We switch to Danny at home. Uh, this is actually... So... I kind of like this. Because... Uh, what we get here is... An image of Danny who has... Never really had the time or inclination... To mourn what happened to his family... Because he is now living in their house, he is confronted by all of his memories, and he actually starts to mourn for the first time. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very... It's humanizing a dude that up until now has been uh, a living weapon that's been kind of blindsided by a lot of the revelations in the last issues. Yeah. Uh, this is his, This is really the first time that he's had a chance to actually sit still and kind of process all this shit and actually deal with... Because I think... I think... Uh, the, the discovery of the fact that... So... I'm, ha I'm having a hard time putting this into words... I think what happened is after his family was killed, Danny wound up in uh, Kunlun. Kunlun and just kind of stamped all that stuff down and focused on his hate. The hate has been kind of ruptured, not just because he realized how hollow it is, but also by discovering that... Uh, that the august personage in Jade was responsible for their deaths, I think has caused the, a lot of those scabs to be reopened. And so now he's actually, he's processing all of the emotions that he never actually dealt with because there's been a massive upheaval in what he thought happened. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's he's definitely... And I, I like that we're getting... What seemed like a throwaway complication... Yeah, a couple issues back when Khan explains to him that UT actually knew... Uh, and caused his parents' death and like essentially lured them out there... So that they would be killed... Um, that seemed like a needless complication at the time, but you're right. Now, it did... It threw a wrench into everything that he believed so that in order to recontext... In order to contextualize anything, 
he basically had to start over, which meant looking at all of it again. Right. And if that's what you're saying, then yeah, that's what I get. Yeah. Yeah. Although I also forgot that his mother was ripped apart by wolves. So yeah. That, that's one you're going to... That'll take you a while. Yeah. To get over. Uh, we we have a brief thing where Joy Meacham is talking to Davos, which there's some confusion I have about Davos in these issues, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um Joy wants Davos to look into some of the shit her father was getting up to. So. And Davos is like, no, I'm here to kill Iron Fist. And she's like, you'll do that when I fucking well tell you to. Yeah, she she's like, uh, we do, we, our agreement was you would serve me until such time as you're able to kill Iron Fist. I'm telling you to serve me. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, Danny, Misty, and Jaron Hogarth are getting ready for a meeting at Rand Meacham. Um, the upshot of it is this. Uh, the Meachams, of course, don't know that Danny is Iron Fist. Uh, Ward never had... Um, Danny's family declared legally dead. So Danny still has a claim on everything, on his parents' uh, his parents' share of things. The Meachams are, of course, going to fight this tooth and nail, but before we really get into, get a chance to get into a lot of this stuff, um, the, the meeting is interrupted by Chaka and the Golden Tigers. The thing that I don't understand is Davos is in this meeting. He and Danny have a past, don't they? Davos. I actually kind of like Iron Fist sometimes. Uh, was that a fraction run? The Seven, the seven Trials? Well, that was fra- yeah. I really liked, and then there were some, there were some issues, there were some stories after that that I liked, and some of them involved Danny, or not Danny, Davos, and I do not understand Davos. Like, I have never understood Davos. I don't know, like, did he also get trained in, okay, in this context, did he also get trained by, at Kunlun? That's that's what I'm trying to because the thing that I don't understand is if he was he's the son of Le Kung, the Thunderer. Um Okay, so Okay, so Davos was defeated in single combat by Wendell Rand. Um So wait, Davos knows his dad? Davos fought his dad. Okay. That's why that's why they don't recognize each other necessarily. Like, Davos knows the Davos knows Wendell Ram, so he would know Danny is Wendell's son. But he doesn't But he doesn't know that he is Iron Fist. Because he got kicked out of Kunlun before Danny showed up. 
Correct. Okay. That's what that's what I was trying to understand was because this dude was a former because he's got the serpent yeah, cha- tattoo on his chest. Yeah. So I was trying to understand what the deal was with that, but uh, okay, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. Way more sense than it did a minute ago. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute with some more Iron Anyway, I guess we should talk about comics. Sure. Uh, Iron Fist number nine uh, is... Written by Claremont, penciled by Byrne, inked by Frank Chiaramonti, colored by Bonnie Wilford, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino and John Costanza. Um, we kind of skip ahead at this at this point because the end of the last issue was the Golden Tigers showing up in the meeting. At this point, we see uh, Iron Fist making his way through the city, being attacked by Golden Tigers, and he's tired. We don't really know why he's so uh, run down, but he is in bad shape. Yeah, he's messed up. Uh, one of the tigers like jumps him from a fire escape. He manages to roll with it uh, and then put the tiger down. But then he's just like, I can barely stay conscious, and like he falls all fours. And then we switch back to the uh, um, to the meeting room. Right. And so, basically, what, it, what happens in the course of this is Chaka tells Ward Meacham, we've had dealings, and now you've shut me out. That's not okay. Um, so Danny is just like, no, you, you gotta knock it off. He does, like, a weak-ass arm hold, but it... At first, you're just like, Danny, come on, man, you can do... But it becomes clear what his plan is. He puts this arm hold on Chaka, who flips him over and throws him through a window. Danny falls, catches a railing of a... Um, what am I trying to... It, Balcony. Yeah, it's an, an executive sun deck that's directly below the boardroom. And... I just love 70s safety regulations because yeah. none of this would exist. Yeah. Um, I, I got really confused every time, like in the 60s, 60s and 70s comics, anytime we're at the Bugle and they have like windows that open, I'm yeah. like, what the fuck are you even on? Yeah. Oh, right. They would have had to open because yeah. those buildings were built in the 30s. Air conditioning wasn't a thing. You would have roasted everyone alive. And everybody smoked, which meant that you wouldn't have been able to breathe. Right. Um, Anyway, it's just one of those, like, you know... Oh, right, time. Yeah. Um, Uh, So, he he changes into the Iron Fist uniform, makes his way back upstairs, deals with the various underlings along the way, uh, and busts into the meeting... Um, the, we get a, we get a moment where, like, someone is attacking Joy Meacham and Davos deals with them, and Misty is just like, huh, okay, 
but then she takes uh, he the uh, Chaka has one of those things that I guess is a triple iron. That's what they keep calling it. I yeah I didn't I know ass- what. I, it's I you've the seen, nunchuck with the bar in the middle instead of the chain. Yeah, you if you've seen a, a a ninja movie or a kung fu movie, you've seen these. I have a feeling that triple iron is not what they're called. Well, but, yeah, right. I yeah. But anyway, he uh, Chaka takes this weapon and hits Misty in the back of the head with it, and. Uh, Danny's in his head is like, holy crap, he could have killed her with that. Yeah. Um, I yeah, you better pray you didn't, and puts yeah. Chaka on his ass. Um, but turns out the triple iron is also electrified, and he zaps Danny with it. And then right. we cut back to the alley, or we cut forward again to the alley where Danny drags himself up, uh, and is. He sees a police car, and he's like, okay, good, they could take me to a hospital. Uh, nope, there's tigers in the police car. He jumps the car, and it's really rad. Yeah. Um, he jumps the car, and the car go. The police car goes screaming into a vehicle. At that point, poison, or we don't know this yet, but at that point, he's just fucking done. Reaches inside, grabs one of them, nearly kills him by cracking him across the face and then he throws the other one the other one's like oh no please don't hurt me but then he's got a blade because of course he does right and he's like so danny tosses him into the third dude and he almost there's like you almost put them down total uh and at that point we cut back but not as far to danny waking up after being electrified and Chaka's like, good, I want you totally aware of everything that I'm going to do to you, because I am a bad villain. Or a great villain? I don't know. I'm, I'm an idiot. The, the line between a bad villain and a good villain, I feel like, is pretty thin, and mostly and can mostly be spelled L-U-C-K. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. Like, he tells Danny that he's given him a nerve toxin. And that without an and without the antidote, he'll be dead in an hour. But he needs to get all the way across the city, then fight Chaka in public, very publicly, and then he'll get the antidote. And Danny's like, "Fucking fine." Um, so that's that's the run. Yeah. Uh, but try, as soon as Danny's out of the room, he's like, "That's." If you see such an idiot, there's no antidote. Um, so, I don't care. Uh, Chaka goes in and... Remember Bill. Um, Bill Howe, he... William Howe, he... Uh, uh, he goes in... Chaka goes in with, to the captured Bill and hypnotizes him for reasons... Or he's yeah. At the very end, he's like, "You're gonna, you're the one that's going to kill Iron Fist, and then, and then accept the blame for that heinous murder." And he's like, "Yes, I will kill him." Yeah. So, you know, we get, we get a brief thing back in Ireland 
or back in back in England, where Irish McIrish, uh, what's his name? Fuck. Uh, they say it there. Where? What is? Um, Alan McTavish. Alan Cavan Cavanaugh. Alan Cavanaugh, former IRA bomber. Uh, is booking passage with a steamer uh, to the U.S. And <clears throat> some dudes are watching and they're like, we're not to be doing anything until he gets to the United States. Uh, because reasons. Why don't we um, kill him now? Nope, we don't kill him until he gets to the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Iron Fist, we come back to Iron Fist, the... The fire reaches the gas tank, causing the car to explode. Some kids outside, come outside, and they're like, oh, shit, it's that Iron Fist guy. He needs help. And their mom's like, nope, and brings <laughs> her back inside. Uh, he tries to start uh, making his way uh, to a secure location so that he can try to do what he did in London and use the Iron Fist to heal himself. When he comes under attack from Chaka, um, they have they have a fight during which Iron Fist starts focusing his chi to heal himself. Uh, Chaka attacks, and in the process of defending himself, uh, Danny uh, strikes backward, which ostensibly causes the. Uh, Chaka to slam into this chimney and hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. Danny's like, oh god, no. But actually, like, even in the scene, you actually see what actually happened to him. Um, which is that he got hit from behind by a triple iron. Uh, but Danny's like, oh fuck, he's still alive, but we've got to get him help. Uh, at which point the cops show up. And, yeah. So, Iron Fist number 10 is inked by Dan Adkins and lettered by Gastar Gaspar Saladino and Irving Watanabe. Uh, Iron Fist is on the run. Uh, ostensibly, in the course of things, he discovers that Bill Howe, uh, beloved uh, uh, district attorney... Uh, I guess he's an ADA, maybe, because yeah, uh, because the DA at this point is Tower, um, but yeah, so he ostensibly died, um, but of course, it, it it's a fake out. It's always a fucking fake out. Whatever. Uh, these cops show up and they're like, "Hold it, killer!" And he's just like, "I would, but I can't." Bye. Uh, so he starts, you know, he flips up onto a rooftop and starts to make a run for it. He has a run in with Misty and Colleen. Colleen, there's a brief thing here where it seems like Colleen has picked up some moves from being mind melded with Danny. Uh, cause he's, he... He thinks about how she's a lot more effective a fighter than she was previously. Um, 
But she's still angry at him. Whatever. Colleen is like, this, okay, this is, you have now, I was mad at you before because you used the fist to mind meld us together and I, that was an invasion of privacy that I was still working through. You know that. And now I'm super pissed because you're out here killing people? Fuck you, man. No, we're done. Yeah. And um, they, he gets her to calm down by... Can he get? I like, I like Misty and Colleen even in these days because he gets Colleen to calm down by explaining how he's innocent to Misty. Yeah, and she basically calls Colleen off. Like yeah. that's a really cool dynamic that seemed to have been just baked into these characters from the beginning that I didn't realize. Like how. Yeah. How well they worked together. Um, anyway, yeah. Long story short, is he convinces her that he's in that he convinces Misty that he's innocent, and uh, so they take him back to their office. <clears throat> he proceeds to start tearing his way through the Golden Tigers operations in order to draw Chaka out. Um, Chaka, being an idiot, uh, I mean, it's really, it's really kind of a no-win situation, I guess, for him. Because if he draw, if he allows himself to be drawn out, he's now out in the open. If, however, he stays where he is and just lets the police deal with Iron Fist, he gets viewed as weak. But whatever. Yeah. The point is, it works because they're in Nightwing. Uh, Restoration's office when Chaka attacks. Chaka takes out Colleen and Misty um, and in fact like when he hits Misty it's a really hard blow to the chest uh, and then Colleen takes a fucking blast to the face. Um, he's like haha I've upgraded my weapon since the last time we fought. It doesn't matter though because I they they blast out of the office and down to the street, um, have a knockdown drag out fight, uh, and Iron Fist beats his ass, like destroys his weapon, uh, like Chaka Chaka gets it around his throat, but then he uses the Iron Fist to smash it, and then just starts wailing on uh, on. Uh, Chaka, and that's when the cops show up. At that point, Chaka's just like, whatever, you're still a killer. Ha ha. But then the police are just like, yeah, about that. Uh, nope. And that's when Bill comes hobbling out. They, they released to the newspapers that he had died, but he didn't. Uh, he immediately, of course, told the police what had happened so the police scarfy and the rest knew full well that uh iron fist was not actually a killer but not a, i don't know that necessarily all of the rank and file knew um but certainly yeah anyway uh iron fist is cleared of the murder because the murder never happened whatever hooray 
there's some really this the overarching story of these issues is kind of whatever but there's some really cool character stuff going on yeah that uh, I dig yeah so take that for what you will I I will say like I said I I really do like uh, 70s John Byrne the uh, construction of the pages is really fun yeah, um, he does really neat things with movement and panel fluidity that really remind me of stuff that you don't see a lot until like the 90s. It's very precursor kind of this is the way we should be doing this. Yeah. Like breaking the mold uh, of panel, you know. It's definitely not the eight and nine panel structure that you're kind of used to for 60s and 70s, or 60s and early, early 70s comics. Um, it's real neat. So Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's one of those things of when I started, by the time I got to where I might know who John Byrne is, John Byrne had become somewhat irrelevant. Like, I don't want to say out and out. By that time, John Byrne had gone over and was doing Next Men and was helping Mike Mignola launch Hellboy. So I don't want to say he was irrelevant. I'm just saying that... He'd step, he'd step back from the actual art, that kind of thing? Well, no, because he was still doing the art on Next Men. Personally... By the time Next Men gets around, I'm not as big a fan of his actual like line work because I absolutely love the way John Byrne draws in like Iron Fist and uh, those early new X Men books. Uh, yeah, but I feel like by the time, by the time. John, John, excuse me. By the time I started reading comics, John Byrne had become one of those people that if you were reading the big two, you wouldn't know who he was. Right. Uh, so when I say somewhat irrelevant, I mean somewhat irrelevant to this specifically. Yeah. Not in general. And obviously, going back and reading some of this, I realized what a big deal he was before I started reading. But that's right. all hindsight. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the time that at the time that I started reading comics, I didn't know who the fuck John Byrne was, and only discovered his older stuff when I then started having a chance to go back and read issues from before I was born and shit like that. Right. Um, whereas, you know. If you if you walked into a comic shop in the nineties, John Byrne was you know you had your Marvel, your DC, and your indie, and I was not yet making it all the indie, making it all the way to the indie indie rack. So you know I'm I realized this is about me more so than it was it's, about John yeah, Byrne. Yeah, exactly. He was slightly irrelevant to my point of view at that time. Yeah. So I could have worded that way better. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Thor, number 246, 
is uh, written by Len Wein, penciled by John Bushima, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Glynis Wein, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, There's something... I don't know why this tickles me, because it's so adorable, about Thor and the Warriors 3 just hanging out in Jane's apartment. Like, just watching TV and shooting the shit, because they don't know what else to do. Like... This is this is like a fish out of water sitcom. Yeah, waiting. This is like Asgardian Alf, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, normal person has their life invaded by blah and hilarity ensues. But instead and that's of what like, this is. but instead of Alf, where it's a problem, it's she just fucking loves every minute of it. Yeah, like yeah, there's um, still conflict because they don't understand how toilets work, but. Yeah, <laughs> but like she doesn't. She thinks it's all hilarious. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um. So they're sitting in the apartment. There's the obligatory hilarity of like, how do the people in the picture box? Bleh. Like, yeah. Um. But while they're watching TV, uh, a news report comes on about the nation of Costa Verde. Uh, there is a war between these insurgents and government forces. And Jane's like, uh, whatever, we can turn this off. And Thor's like, uh, wait one second. And then it turns out Fire Lord's involved and Thor's like, well, fuck. Um, <laughs> Fire Lord's involved and he's just like, oh, man. Yeah. This uh, is, but also this is weird. I better go have a word with him. His exact words are, go smite him down. Yeah. Um, so, oops, Fire yeah. Lord. Like, he doesn't even get into, like, what is the political situation here? Is the government good? Is, you know, what, do I need to... Is Fire Lord on the side of right here? It's more just like, no, he and I talked about this, and he wouldn't do it. Whatever he's doing here, he th- this was specifically on the please do not do this list. Yeah. And uh, that means we need to go have a talk. Yeah. Uh, and Jane's like, I'm coming too, because you don't know Spanish, I think. Yeah, she's like, I'm fluent in the language. Right. And he's like, all right, whatever. I see no problem with taking you into a war zone. <laughs> and the Warriors 3 are like, we'll go too. And he's like, no, I have to do this alone. But you're bringing your girlfriend <laughs> to the war zone. We are the Warriors 3. War zones are what we do. Well, the Warriors 2 and that other guy. Uh, I don't know. Volstagg's pretty pretty useful most of these issues. He's, 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 he's surprisingly able, especially in Spotlight. I will... <laughs> The thing about it is, Volstag is often useful by accident, uh, in that he's like, I will guard our rear, and then he falls on somebody, and that winds up being the thing that's needed. Uh, but anyway, the... Uh, he says no, and they head out. Meanwhile, on Asgard... Yeah, there is there are some dudes who Odin has said are conspiring against him. Uh, We find out that Odin has dispensed with his vizier and has replaced him with Igron, this random asshole that we've encountered before, and he's not good. 
Uh, and so Baldur's just like, I don't like any part of this at all. Um, but these guys who were supposedly conspiring against Odin are uh, magicked away to work in the mines or whatever. Uh, Thor and, and Jane arrive in Costa Verde. Uh, they go to the president's palace where the... <laughs> The guards are just like, oh shit, an attack, because, <laughs> of course. Oh shit, um, more super beings shoot, and he uh, deflects their bullets and then disperses them with by throwing Milner. Uh, then they just wander into the president's house, which, okay. I mean, and, yeah, when you're Thor, you have, you have the ability to just w- walk in and just be like, guards, <laughs> pit, and then just be like, what ho, I am Thor. Let's talk. And then people kind of have to. Um, so he comes in and he's like, are you trying... He, the president is like, are you here to help hurt me too? And he's like, no, I want to know where Fire Lord is. And he's like, oh, he's with the rebels. They're out in the hills. Uh, they're apparently getting ready to attack and murder all of us very soon. So if you could go stop that, that would be rad. And... Thor's like, yep, that's the whole plan. So they go out into the jungle. Uh, Jane gets her sexy on by tearing up her blouse uh, to make, because they're in a goddamn jungle. So she rips the sleeves off and stuff. Uh, Thor tries not to notice. Yeah, Thor tries to (laughs) contain... The raging erection. Uh, but they're being followed by one of El Lobo's men, the guy leading the rebels. He comes back and or we cut to the rebels where Fire Lord is clearly under the sway of this woman called Gypsy. And... She's got a weird headband on her on her head. Um, and they discuss everybody discusses the plan for the war when a guy, the guy who was following Thor and Jane bursts into the tent, tent and is like, "Fucking Thor's here." Yeah. Um shit. And everyone's like, "We'll go kill them, you idiot." And it, or the rebels like, well, go kill them, you idiot. Uh, and they head out. And Fire Lord sits down and is like, why does the name Thor sound familiar? And Gypsy's like, don't worry about it, baby. It ain't no thing. It's not important. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't know. Okay. Yep. Uh, we switch to Asgard where Balder is talking with uh, Hildegard about... The fact that Odin appears to have gone mad, at which point the most obviously shifty dude in all of Asgard is just like, hmm, talking about open sedition against Lord Odin. I wonder how much uh, Lord Igron will pay for news like this. And it's just kind of like, stop that guy, stop that one, the weaselly looking motherfucker. Who looks like he's just wet. Just <laughs> wet. Uh, just stop him. Now. Stop him. Um, 
But then we switch back to Costa Verde. Uh, the rebels attack, and Thor's just like, guns. Um, so all of them just dogpile on him, and he's like, guys, no. God of Thunder. Throws them all away. Milner comes back to him. Some, one of them tries to grab Jane, and she's like, I've learned one thing or two, and uh, takes care of this, you know, judo throws the guy that grabbed her, and uh, everyone basically keeps fighting until Fire Lord shows up and is like, okay, enough, and uh, they go at it. Yeah. Which is what we were here to see anyway. So it's really cool. There's some pretty cool, uh, like, particle effects, I guess would be the way to describe it, uh, in the clashes between uh, Fire Lord and Thor, in that there's, like, cascading energy yeah. coming from both of them right and stuff like that um thor throws me on there fire lord deflects it blah 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 um until eventually um el lobo grabs jane um and then gypsy is able to put thor uh under her spell the way she did Fire Lord. Which, like, it's clear at this point. The jewel on her head. Is, we, the reader, know that the jewel is how she's doing this. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. But she only grab has El Lobo grab um, Jane when it looks like Thor's going to beat Fire Lord. And the yeah. only reason Fire Lord's losing is because because of the the whammy that Gypsy's put on Fire Lord, like, he's not all the way in control. Like, he's right. not fighting at peak strength. It's the, it's the usual, uh, it's the usual effect that mind control has in these situations where you technically have control of the person, but they're not fighting at peak efficiency because... While you get their power, you don't get every bit of their skill and experience. Right. You The usual thing. Uh, Thor number 247 is uh, lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, this, one is, this one is pretty straightforward. You've got a whole lot of Thor and uh, Fire Lord <laughs> attacking the president's forces. The president is... Back at his palace, sweating even harder. Balder, meanwhile, is called before uh, Odin, who uh, is just like, uh, fuck you. And Balder's like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not just going to stand here and let this happen. Um, and you're, so. You've clearly been either, you've clearly, he's t talking to Odin, he's like, you've either clearly gone mad or you have allowed that that weasel behind you to poison your mind and Odin's like well enough of this shit and has him has the palace guards set on uh, Balder and Balder's like oh, I gotta go and he just runs um, what, what I find funny about this is I hate when things like this break their own rule 
not not quite break their own rules, but like when when Odin had these other dudes before him, he made them disappear. Mm-hmm. He does not do that with Balder. He just has he orders the guards to take him to the dungeon. At which point Balder is then able to escape. And it's just like if you showed any sort of consistency in how you handled these things like a person might, uh, then that wouldn't have happened. But he manages to escape. We switch to the um, we switch to the Warriors three who are out and about. They pass a TV shop. Uh, Volstag is just like ooh cartoons, and then they move on. Literally right before a news story about Thor and Fire Lord. Um, so yeah, uh, Jane is in the rebel camp. She manages to lure the guard who's keeping an eye on her into the tent by uh, making him think he might get it wet. Uh, at which point she subdues him, uh, gets outside. There's a big altercation between uh, her and... Because she has her gun on Gypsy and El Lobo who were not expecting an attack. Dude tries to come around the side, at which point she fires at him, and she's like, I'm not an idiot. I'm like, I'm here. We're doing this. Um, so she winds up in a knife fight against Gypsy. Um, and it's really rad. Like, we. At the time, you're reading this and you're like, Jane, where the fuck did this come from? But then later on, it's explained where it's coming from and you're like, oh, well, actually, I felt like a little bit like an idiot because I thought this was really cool. Well, we kind of already knew her. We know yeah. she has the spirit of Sif inside her. Right. And that's how they kind of have already explained the fact that she's a much more, she has much more agency than she used to. It used to be she was just like, okay, uh, I'll just wait here until Thor can rescue me. And now um, she's kicking ass and taking names and rescuing Thor, yeah. which is cool. Bitchin'. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, okay, so ba basically what happens is Jane calls Gypsy out and goes, I want to fight her. Fuck the rest of you. I don't even care about this shit anymore. You're... you're Rebellion means nothing to me. I do not care. I want to fight her to get that to get my boyfriend back. Yeah. And they have a goddamn and it's street gang knife fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, like the video for bad. Yeah, uh, it really is. That, like they're both they're each holding one side of a cloth, and you know whoever lets go first, yada yada yada. Uh, they fight and it's back and forth. But then Jane is able to get her down on the, like, is able to trip her up, and she's on her, uh, knife to the throat, at which point, uh... Gypsy's like, if she kills me, your revolution's over, hello! And all the, the guys go, yeah, yeah, we weren't ever gonna let that to happen. So, like, they straight lied to Jane, like, none of, they were never gonna let Thor go, duh. Yeah. Um, Thor, but... It's at this point that Thor realizes that Jane's in trouble and basically breaks the, um, the hold, the hold, the mind Gypsy control. Had on him. 
Uh, and in that, in that immediate commotion, Jainism is able to grab the gem off of Gypsy's head and remove it and toss it into a fire. So then all of a sudden, Fire Lord's free too. And there's not much rebellion after that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they then literally mop up the rebellion and dump them on the steps of the presidential palace. The president's like, oh, thanks. Uh, thank you? It's been a very confusing week with you two, by the way. Because you, the... you came out of nowhere and started wrecking shit. And then you came and told me you'd go stop him from doing that. And then you both came back and wrecked shit. And now you've given me all the rebels. I would like you both to leave now, please. <laughs> yeah. Um... So yeah, uh, I like the end of this because he's like, "Fire Lord, what are you gonna do? I'm just gonna go." Okay, remember our deal. Don't do anything like this. I didn't want to. I know. Okay. Bye. I I really don't like the way Fire Lord gets around. Like, the b- flaming staff is cool in theory, but the way he flies around by basically holding on to it like it's a hang glider, is really dumb, and I hate it. Uh, but whatever. So, uh, the next issue we have is Marvel Spotlight number 30, uh, which is written by Len Wein, penciled by John Bashima, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Glynis Wein, and lettered by Joe Rosen. Uh, while, while Thor is off having his adventure in Costa Verde, uh, we, we start out as is so often the case in media res, uh, with the, the Warriors three in the middle of a bar brawl. We then Tarantino that shit and, uh, go back to them just being out on the street and just like, you know what, let's go find something to do. Let's find some action. Let's find some alcohol. Let's find some women. Let's find something. So they, They hail a cab and several just blow right past them. But eventually this one dude stops and um, he has them pile in and they're just like, we want to go where the action is. And he's like, okay, well, we can do that. Uh, He's a very, uh, he's a good cabbie. Yeah. Um, Um, While they're going, he, uh, they... There's a commotion up ahead, and traffic kind of slows. Then there's a crowd, and a, the Warriors three pile or Fandral uh, sticks his head out of his out the car and sees that there's a woman on the balcony or on a ledge on the side of a building, and he's like, "Well, that won't do." Yeah, Fandral, <laughs> I I like because he's he's that. He is that Errol Flynn character that's just like a damsel in distress. And yes, that's outdated, but uh, it makes for a fun... That swashbuckling character is fun. And you know what? It is, like, it is outdated, but he had... The way that this is done here, though, it doesn't... It's not... He's not talking down to her ever. Right. He's not placate, or he's not like placating or like pleading with he her. He doesn't force her in it. He, he doesn't. Have, he could climb up there, grab her, and take her inside. But, but what he, he doesn't. What he, he does just sits and talks to her. He climbs up and she's like, "Don't go any closer. I swear to God, I'm gonna do it." And he's like, "Okay, okay. Oh, no, all right. I get you. Do you mind if I get up on the ledge though?" And she's like, "Okay, fine." 
and he gets up on the ledge and she's like he's like so okay what are we doing and he's like she's like wait what no she's like i you know this is this is kind of a situation you seem to have put yourself in and i just want to know what are we doing what's what's up and she because he's so disarming he, she's like well my 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 albert's gone and he's like okay did somebody take him she's like no it's actually worse than that he's like okay but tell me she ends up telling him that he albert was worked at the diamond exchange and he got roped in with some characters who were going to go rob it and she is convinced that he's going to end up dead in the whole thing because the job's going to go sour and even if it doesn't like does she want to be involved with a guy that's blah 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 in his whole he's her whole world apparently and Fandral's like oh well this this is a great for me because i love punching people and b i can fix this yeah um and they just so he gets her down from the ledge yeah he's just like we will fix this just come with me but also it's it's we will fix this together yeah. like let's go together and do this um and then they slip off the ledge. He grabs, you know, does some very swashbuckling moves with a flagpole. She lands on top of Vel uh, Volstag because, of course, we haven't had a fat joke in fifteen sec or in, in a page and a half. Um, and he dashings his way down to the, to the ground as well. <laughs> as they're passing, one of the newsmen tries to get in front of Fandral to ask him what happened, and he's like, "Hey, out of my way!" Uh, basically like i have daring do to go do please move uh and the newsman's like don't you think we deserve to know what happened and hogan comes out of fucking nowhere with a knife to this guy's face yeah <laughs> like this is this is a straight chinatown move like he he puts the blade of the knife like in the dude's nostril and he's just like Men who ask too many questions wind up breathing funny. And the guy's like, signing off! <laughs> um, bye! The, the thing that's frustrating to me is... I feel like the Warriors 3 were woefully underutilized in like the movies. Because oh, no yes. parts of any of this ever really came across... Uh, in in the movies they did the obligatory like volstag is fat thing but like what's interesting about volstag is not he eats everything what's interesting about volstag is he's a coward uh who dresses up his cowardice in yeah. the uh in the you know, it's kind of like when people use the phrase, discretion is the better part of valor. Yeah. What they ignore is the fact that the character who said that is a giant coward trying to justify his cowardice. And so, that's Volstek. Like, he dresses up, he dresses up his cowardice in, like, I'm going to guard the rear, or whatever. Uh, Hogan is interesting because he's just, like, he's, like, this very efficient very like uh laconic kind of doesn't say any more than he needs to in any given situation 
kind of dude. And then Fandral, like I said, is just the archetypal, uh, very sort of um, Errol Flynn type of character. And so done well, those three personalities play off of each other very well. Right. But in the movies and in a lot of the stuff the Warriors 3 appear in, they just are Thor's buddies. Yeah. And that's depressing. Because this issue alone shows that when you actually pay attention to their personalities and how well they play off of each other, you can have a lot of fun. Yeah. This issue, nothing really worthwhile happens. Nothing earth-shattering happens. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, but so they they leave, they pile back into the cab, and they head down to the Diamond Exchange. While they're there, they meet a homeless drunkard, uh, because aren't they always, named uh, Rags, uh, who <laughs> gets them inside by just being like, this is a doorknob. <laughs> it's not even locked. <laughs> like, so they get inside and they face off against the the guys who are robbing the diamond exchange, um, whom they deal with in short order. And once they are, uh, once they are wrapped up, um, they unmask them and they're just kind of like, so which one is Albert? Like, what's all this? And she's like. I don't see him, and they're and the drunkard is just like that's a little skinny guy, right? As soon as these guys came inside, he hailed a cab and took off. Um, heard him heard him say to take him down to the docks or whatever. Yeah. So they all their ever largening party, uh, ever largening. That sounds okay. Whatever. Uh, piles into the cab, uh, and they take off down to the docks. <laughs> right as the cops show up. Right. They're like, uh, we probably had to go before the cabbie is like, uh, we probably had to go before the cops arrive because you did just spoil a bank robbery or a diamond exchange robbery. And that's going to, that's going to garner attention. If you want to go after this guy, we got to go. Uh, they leave, they go down to, uh, M- McGinty's some bar on the waterfront and uh they just walk in and start asking around for this guy which is yeah. not the kind of thing you do in CD joints um well and this is just more of like they don't know how earth works like you know you would it's... think this is the one thing that uh they would know how it works though like bars well, it's it's the kind it's the kind of thing of like you know there are so many things about how like if you transfer video game logic to the real world it doesn't work ha 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 yeah this is this is applying fantasy logic to the real world in that you just walk into a bar there's all sorts of friendly npcs you go up and you're just like what ho traveler what have you heard about blank? And they're like, blank? Well, I heard, like, you know. I have plenty of information about that. Because Volstagg goes up and asks him if he's seen, asks this big, sort of loud, drunk dude at the bar if he's seen Albert. And he's like, fuck no, I don't know what, to, go away. 
And Rags comes over and is like, don't you talk to him that way. He'll bust your teeth. And the big dude's like, oh yeah? I'll bust his teeth. Uh, but Volstag ducks, because of course he does, because that's Volstag's whole deal. And the guy punches over Volstag into a ran- another rando at the, the bar. The way this is set up, I kind of like, it almost looks like as he's ducking, he he kind of knocks the legs out from this other guy, which drives him into the other dude's fist. So it's just kind of, it's a very it's a very dynamic triangle of people uh, that I really like. This causes bar brawl, right? Which again we get like a really good uh, distillation of these these three people, right? Um, because Fandral is just like okay. He's jumping around, whapping people on the heads with the flat of his blade. Uh, Volstag is just like, I'm going to clear an escape route. (laughs) Uh, And meanwhile, Hogan is just um, knocking people down. Yeah. Um, Rags. Because again, uh, Hogan is all about economy of movement. Yeah. Fandral is swan... Fandral swans about... Being very like elaborate uh, and elaborate and theatrical, yeah. in his fighting style, Hogan is just like bonk, bonk, <laughs> bonk. Volstag is just like, oh look, a penny. Oops, a bunch of guys got knocked over. Like that's just how it works. But um, they don't find anything, so they just kind of leave this bar in tatters, and they're just like. How many bars are down here? And Rags is just like, I don't know, like 30? And uh, they're just like, well, we can't do this all night. I mean, we could, but, you know. But they walk outside, and Albert's literally just, like, appeared. Um, And the two of them make up. um, Albert and... uh, Mary. Mary. Not Albert and the Warriors 3 or anything. Um... But yeah, after after the whole thing, he knew that Mary wasn't gonna want to have anything to do with him, so he came down to the docks to like think and maybe bring himself to end it all. Uh, and then it was just sheer happenstance. At which point, they're like, "So yeah, we're back together. The wedding's back on." And Fandral is like, "This is happy news." Why even wait? Let's get this done as quick as possible. <laughs> um, never mind the fact that all Albert has already shown poor judgment. Uh, and as such, this relationship is probably not going to work out. But they go down, they wake up the Justice of the Peace, get them married. Fendral gives the cabbie a bag of gold to drive them up to Niagara Falls. And then they're just like, so what now do- we're back where we were. Uh, and Fendral's just like, I don't know. Let's call a cab. <laughs> like, I love, I actually enjoyed the hell out of this story. Because, yeah. And I like the way that it ends too with Fandral bum rushing them into getting married and then going to do it. And then the way that it ends with them being like, with Hogan being like, well, we're right back where we started. And, like, what that elicits in me as a reader is, like, we're just going to do this kind of shit all night. Yeah. Like, they're just going to keep getting in cabs. 
going to a trying to go to one thing end up having a weird adventure that's pretty low key like yeah. they're not going to stop galactus or anything like right. they're going to have a low key adventure but helping people like regular doing a, pulling a spider-man essentially right and for all night and then at the end of it they're just like well we're right back where we started we got to get another cab and then just keep doing that over and over and that's delightful that is yeah. absolutely delightful. Now this is not this is not a recipe for long-term success. No, but for a for a single issue it's great. Oh yeah. Um yeah, now if they if they were to try and do what they often like Marvel Spotlight and books like that are often, you know, kind of a testing ground for ideas uh and so they, you know, this is not a this is not a story that I think would spin out into a good ongoing no. series. Uh, this is, this really feels like, who wrote this one? This was uh, Len Wein. This really feels like Len Wein had a, like a fun idea and then they'd been batting it around the bullpen for a couple of weeks until finally he got, um, who's editor-in-chief right now? Uh, at this point in time. Is it Marv? It may be Marv. It may be Marv Wolfman. Um, he finally gets Marv to... It's not on the front. Why isn't it on the front? One sec. Anyway, go ahead and... He may, he finally gets him to be like, yeah, you can fucking do your Warriors 3 book, but in Spotlight and that only, and you're only getting one, and then you guys got to get it worked out of your system. Yeah. Um, and they did it, and it was really fun, and everyone was like, okay, this was a success, but... You know this isn't going to work. This is a one-time deal, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, of course." Right. It's 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 too good. I like it. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I think editor in chief was Jerry Conway. Okay. But uh, Len Wein was an editor, so he could have probably Does kind it. of pushed that through on his own. Uh, but like I said, I you know it's one of those things that. I think if you did a if you did a if you did a Warriors three book, it would have to be a mix of a lot of different things. It couldn't just be this. But I think this is a nice aside for characters like this, and especially for the Warriors three specifically, um, because it is it's so low key, but it's fun. And it's a nice little break from, oh shit, Odin's crazy, and stuff like that. Um, you know, by the, by the same time, it's, it's one of those things that I like a lot of the characters surrounding Thor. But I don't think most of them can carry a book by themselves. Because, like trying to think about it it's like the warriors 3 you'd have to you'd have to constantly be changing it up for it to work balder unless unless you unless you are able to completely subvert balder yeah balder would never work because he's just too good a guy he's too good a guy i mean thor's a good guy too but give it, it the interesting thing with thor is like the family dynamics and the power struggles, right? Like, and what, also and like, Don and Thor, and like, there's yeah. not enough 
conflict with Balder. Even if you were, you could do maybe, maybe like a three or four issue miniseries of like him and Carnilla like figuring their shit out. But like that's the most interesting. That's the only really interesting thing Balder's got going on. But of course, you know. Smarter people than the me. Ca- a case could be made. Because Balder is ostensibly Odin's son. Yeah. So, it could have just as easily been Balder that was the star of this book. Yeah. And Thor was a background character that was more like maybe he appears in mythology. So, it could have it could have cut anyway, either way. I'm just saying Balder as he is portrayed in this... I don't think he there's, can carry it. Yeah, com- um, comics Boulder, there's not a lot. And if you were to draw more heavily from mythology, I don't think Boulder would work simply because of the way the character is in mythology. Uh, he doesn't have a lot. Well, I listened to the Neil Gaiman. Um, that's the second time we've mentioned him. Uh Norse mythology a while ago and Balder doesn't really come up a lot like he show he comes well, he up he doesn't he's he's kind of in the background in a lot and admittedly this is a probably a result of the fact that so much Norse mythology is lost right um but yeah i mean most of most of his most of his most of the stories surrounding Balder involve either his mom making sure everything wouldn't hurt him or Loki using the one thing that didn't agree to that to kill him. Uh, and then and then Thor going to hunt down Loki and beat the shit out of him. Right. Um, but then all of like the Balder heroics, at least in the mythology that I that I heard, was around Balder is hinted at. Yeah. Like, he's he is the most skilled, skilled warrior. Uh, he isn't the strongest, but he is the most skilled warrior in the Pantheon. Yeah. And um, killing him is bad uh, and hard to do. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway. We'll be back in a minute with some more Thor and then some more. Hooray! shuffles the challengers of the unknown into a portal and then they take their seats and so the challengers spend the rest of the movie like floating in a black void and they're just like I don't know how we're going to get out of this one (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) excuse me oh anyway uh Thor number 248 is written by Len Wein, penciled by John Bashima, inked by Tony Dizen. I hate when my mouth does this. Tony Dzuniga? I can't say that word. Whatever. Dzuniga. Fuck it. <laughs> Dzinga. No, that's not it. Dzuniga. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
uh, colored by Glennis Ween and lettered by Joe Rosen. Because there's an actress with with the same last name, and I always have trouble with hers too. Daphne, I think, is her name. Whatever, it fucks me up. Uh, so Thor and Jane return to New York after their adventure in Costa Verde, and there's a big old storm, and Thor's just like, huh, okay, takes Jane to her apartment building, uh, but as soon as they get there, a window washer is, uh, struck by the storm and starts to fall, Thor goes and saves him, blah, 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 and then people are just like, hey, ain't you the god of thunder, why can't you do something about this shit, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I could, um, you know, that is sort of my whole deal, okay, I'll give it a shot. He tries and is struck by lightning. Uh, <clears throat> so he bears down, uh, grits his teeth, really, really tries this time, and is able to dispel it, but it takes a lot out of him. Um, he comes inside, uh, and there's... They... Jane is like, look at the TV. <laughs> and... He looks, and there's a big old traffic jam, and the Warriors 3 are the cause. And Thor's like, <sighs> I could I could not go get them. And he's like, she's like, she just looks at him. He's like, okay, I'm going. Well, she's, she's like, they're your friends. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Fuck. <laughs> so he flies uh, off to go and deal with it. He arrives, and apparently the whole thing is that uh, a truck ran into Volstag, and it bouncing <sighs> off his enormous ass, because, fat joke, uh, is what caused the traffic jam. Uh, so Thor deals with it. Like, he literally, he like... <laughs> Points the truck, or moves the truck, gets it taken care of. <coughs> Points all the cars right in the right direction. <coughs> Excuse me. God. Um, and it literally clears up immediately. So he picks up the Warriors 3 and flies them back to Jane's apartment. They get there and discover Balder who uh, apparently made it out of Asgard by the skin of his teeth. Right. Um, he looks rough. And he explains what's been going on, explains that Odin is not acting like Odin at all. Um, and he's like, well, then I have to go to back to Asgard. Baldur and the Warriors 3 are like, well, obviously we're coming with you, and so is Jane. Thor says... Uh, you went to Asgard once before, and it literally broke your brain. And uh, she's like, yeah, but I now have the spirit of an Asgardian goddess inside of me. And they were like, well, all right, we'll give it a shot. <coughs> we'll see how this works out. Which is playing a little fast and loose. Um, yeah. But um, that's Thor. So they show up on the Rainbow Bridge, and Heimdall's like, okay, no. 
And Thor's like, nah, come on, Heimdall. We're gonna, I don't want to do this. And Thor, or Heimdall's like, I don't want to do this either, but, and he blows on the horn to summon uh, the palace guard, or the city guard. What, they, what I don't understand about this is, this is the horn he's supposed to blow at, at Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. If he's blowing it to call the city guard, how did the, like... We're not we're not given the we're not given the context that like he's show he's blowing three short toots where the Ragnarok blow is like one long one followed by a bunch of screaming <laughs> or whatever like it's just like same horn same usage whatever um, but yeah the city guard comes out and so they're just like well guess we got to fight and they do. Uh, and eventually, like, they deal they deal with the guards, and then they're left kind of with the same situation they had before, where it's just like, Heimdall let us pass, and Heimdall's like, I, I literally can't, bro. At which point, uh, Volstagg just clubs him on the back of the head, and he's like, sorry. <laughs> and then they make their way inside. Uh, once inside... <coughs> Fucking hell. Uh, Thor sees what has become of Asgard in the time he's been away, and it's bad. Uh, like, uh, there is abject poverty. The people are where in tatters. Just, it's a mess. So, Balder brings them to the... Uh, the resistance, as it were, uh, which of course is you know Brunhilde is there with Hilde, her Hildegard. Hildegard, sorry, my and, bad. And Chris, Hildegard and her sister Krista, and we also meet Brodag the Black, uh, Holvar the of the single eye, and Kosak the crimson haired, and also Scoville the shaggy one. So these, this is your. This is your ragtag bunch. Your resistance, ladies and gentlemen. And everyone's like, all right, cool. And Thor's like, all right, cool. So we got, uh, we got like nine people. Let's go. Let's go attack. Nine people versus the whole of Asgard. Yeah. Uh, And Jane, Jane goes, whoa, whoa. Wouldn't you like to have a plan? And she's like, uh, if you wish to cure the your father's insanity, you probably ought to go get your actual Grand Vizier. And, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so, they, uh, they make their way to the Tower of Solitude. Ostensibly, Odin had claimed that uh, the Vizier was sent to the Tower of Solitude to better read the ancient texts but they get there and there's a bunch of guards on the door and shit so they're like well that answers that question uh so they fight their way through thor gets inside only to be confronted by a storm giant which the the cover yeah the cover makes this out like this is this is what's frustrating i know i complain about covers now that have like nothing to do 
with what's going on in it. Like, it's just like, whatever, splash page on the cover. Uh, whereas, <coughs> it's also equally annoying where they make a big thing out of something that's literally dealt with in, like, two panels. <clears throat> yeah. And that's what happens here. Storm Giant's um, like, I'm gonna, I'm here to kick your ass. And Thor's like, no. And clobbers him. And Storm Giant down. Uh, so he goes to free the Vizier. That's it. Yeah. Um, they all get free. Uh, and Odin is being evil Odin. Yeah. He's just like, well, guess Thor's gotta die, crunch. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is... They they end this with the obligatory villain scene where they are playing chess with pieces carved to look like the people they are going to be fighting. And I, I've never... I've never understood this. Like, why would you have... Whatever. Why would you? Uh, why would you commission this? Why would you commission that only to crush the pieces? And then also, like, who are you playing against? Because Igron walks in, and Odin's just like moving pieces around, and it's like, what game are you playing, bro? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, so yeah, so Thor number two forty nine, Thor. Uh, rolls into the uh, the palace. But the palace guards are just like, yeah, no, you're not getting in there. And Thor's like, I'm Thor. Did you... Did you forget the part where I'm Thor? Like, we do this every time Odin seemingly goes crazy or won't let me in or whatever. Just move. But no. Uh, so he has to he has to move them, and then he runs into a, an, an unseen barrier that is protecting the throne room. Odin's eyes show up in the in the haze, and he's like, "You're not welcome here. Get out." Thor's like. That you're clearly not feeling well. Just let me in, and we can talk about this. And uh, Odin's like, you know, be gone. Uh, the rift between us is too much. So Thor turns around and finds that the palace guard, the palace guard, has shown up behind him, and he's like, well, fuck that, and he goes straight through them too. Uh, Meanwhile, he, he plows through a wall which comes down after him and they're not able to follow. Yeah. He rejoins the resistance and they're like, well, what okay. do we do? Okay. At which point the vizier's like, we should go and see the Norn Queen. Uh, maybe we can convince her to join us because of her love of Balder or whatever. Let's give it a shot. Before they leave, <clears throat> uh, he gives Jane the Sword of Sif. Uh, as soon as she takes hold of it, it starts to glow white hot. Uh, and when when she does, she like hits it on the wall, 
Uh, which then causes her to transform into Sif. Um, there's a whole lot of questions in the short term. Uh, you know, is this only in Asgard? Will it work on Earth as well? And the vizier's like, truthfully, I don't know. Like, we're kind of in uncharted water yeah. here. Uh, <clears throat> because it's it's one of those things, like, the Don Blake thing was set up by Odin. Like, that was a magical thing he did. And so that has clearly defined rules. This was, like, Sif this was gave us. herself over to cure Jane... And so it's just kind of like, we got to figure this out as we go. Yeah. But, um, so, so he sends, part of the plan is that he sends Hildegard, Krista, he sends the rest of them, everybody that's not going to go see, see Carnilla, he sends them out into the, splits them up, sends them out into the countryside to like rally the people around Thor's cause, which honestly, given the state of things, shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Um, we switch back to Odin, who's like moved the the Odin sword into the throne room. Yeah. Which I thought the whole thing about the Odin sword is that it was constantly coming out of the scabbard and they like had to keep the continual pressure on it. But maybe I'm misremembering that. I think that was a specific issue to that. That was specific to what was going on at the time. All things being equal, the Odin sword's just there. Okay. At that point in time, events were moving toward Ragnarok, uh, which is what was causing it to slowly emerge. Unsheath. Um. <clears throat> so, all he all he really says at this time is that you know. If he is not in control of Asgard, then he'll destroy it. We don't know what specifically, I don't think at this point, he he plans to do other than Odin Sword here now. Yeah. Um, so Balder, the Vizier, and Thor ride out to find the Norn Queen. <clears throat> they are momentarily inconvenienced by some giants... But Thor's just like, nope, and shuts them down. Um, and so they arrive they arrive uh, at the at the Norn Queen's cave. Grotto. Uh, like you're a queen. I I feel like you could maybe at least I get it's part of the effect, but like, can you have maybe a foreboding condo like a foreboding bungalow like you don't have to live in a cave but whatever uh <clears throat> they come in and so they they each are sort of trying to beseech her to aid them uh <clears throat> balder balder shoots his shot and he's just like you know i know that i hurt you when i left but please don't allow Asgard to bear the brunt of your vengeance toward me. And she's like, I do not give a shit about you, dude. She's, at all. Yeah, she backhands him and she's like, you presume too much. 
to think the omnipotent Norn Queen would ever deign to feel affection for such as thee. And he's like, well, no. The vizier's like, okay, now that Baldur's humiliation is complete, <laughs> um, listen, you can't let all of Asgard die just because you hate Odin so much. And she's like, okay, you're getting close. Uh, but because if you do that, then you've got nothing to be queen of either. And she's like, I don't know about that. I trust you, but you kind of make sense. Well, and, you know, ultimately she agrees to help, but she's like, my reasons are my own, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm not really agreeing with any of your reasons. I'm going to hold my own. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, They get to the, they get to the, back to the city. They run into some city guard and Carnilla's like, well, if I'm really supposed to be part of this band, it's probably time I start, uh, you know, pulling my weight. And she just waves her hand and they're just like, done. And he, but the Balder and Thor are like, well, that was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but so they get to the barrier and Carnilla attempts to breach it and isn't able to. Uh, at which point Thor's like, okay. Let's combine our power. So they do, and they're able to create a small hole. Thor jumps through and is like, guys, come on. But they're not able to. Yeah, because the the barrier closed behind them. They're not going to be able to do it. Right. So he heads in to face Odin, uh, comes to Igrin and Odin. Odin now has his throne sitting on the... Odin sword uh, and <clears throat> Thor is just like father I don't know what's going on I don't know what madness has seized you <clears throat> or why you were acting this way but this is not you and Odin is basically just like he doesn't think this is me that's hilarious this has always been me and Thor's like what are you talking about and uh he and he and Igrun start laughing. Uh, at which point, there's a flash of light, and it turns out that the Odin, who's been running Asgard into the ground, is actually Mangog. Um, cliffhanger ending. Woo. So then we get to Thor number two fifty, which is lettered by John Costanza. Costanza. Uh, we get the explanation as to how a Mangog is even still around, uh, and B, how they wound up uh, working together. The short version is, after Igron <clears throat> tried his hand at taking over Asgard, he was uh, banished to the dungeon. Uh, while there, he found a tiny Mangog, who it turns out... Uh, the last time we saw Mangog, Odin uh, resurrected the entire species that ostensibly fueled Mangog. So he lost all of his power and disappeared, uh, shrunk away to nothing. <coughs> <coughs> Turns out you can't actually destroy that kind of hatred. So he, what he didn't vanish, 
he just shrunk down to a really tiny man gog itty bitty man gog that Igron finds uh, and Igron works with some of his power to you know restore man gog to close to his former power and then they sit there and they kind of like try to decide what they're gonna do together since they've got each other's they've got each other now so Igron comes up with an idea and he's like hi how about this oh no they find out that uh okay so when Odin was on earth they were watching then they learn when he when he regains his sen- his his senses he comes back to being Odin after all the set stuff and all that um he Odin left and was on his way back to Asgard Igron turned Mangog into a facsimile of Odin and then intercepted and did the shell game to put Igron or Mangog on the on the throne as Odin and shunted shunted Odin off to somewhere else. And that's the big mystery now. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So yeah, we don't know what happened to Odin other than something prevented him from returning to Asgard. So Igrin's just like, fuck it, we'll do something else. Transforms Mangog into Odin, has him release Igrin from the dungeon, they take over, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the lethargy that we saw earlier um, was a result of Igron siphoning off Odin's, or siphoning off the uh, life force of the people of Asgard to fuel Igron, yada, 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 whatever. Um, so ultimately, <clears throat> Thor is bested and taken away. Uh, meanwhile, we see the resistance out in the out in the countryside gathering the people. They gather everyone that they can and march on the walls of Asgard. When they arrive, they find Thor strung up outside uh, with Mjolnir just out of reach. Um, <clears throat> Sif, uh, of course, tries to do something, but is interrupted by Odin and Igron, who show up outside. Odin <clears throat> starts, uh, you know, boasting about how fucking great he is and how, like, nobody can stand against him. Uh, the various members of the Resistance, the named members that we know, uh, start trying to attack. Baldur is turned into a dog. The Warriors Three are turned into a donkey, a ram, and a pig. I'm guessing you can probably figure out which, which one's, one's the which? pig. Um, and then Sif tries to free Thor, but before she can, uh, <clears throat> Odin... Uh, sucks away her youth and beauty uh, because he's like, let's see if Thor will even look at, can even bear to look at you like this. Uh, at which point, 
uh, Thor is just like, that's enough, and straight rips everything down. He goes full Samson and rips the entire columns down. Yeah, Uh, on top of him. uh And man... Man Gog Odin Gog is just like, great, I didn't have to do shit, he killed himself. And uh, now I'm in charge. 100% 100% and no one's gonna stop me blah 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 and Igron's like what about um me my lord we're supposed to be working on this together yeah. and Odin Gok is like no and just straight disintegrates him um it disintegrates Igron because he yeah. doesn't need him anymore and at that point uh he's now he's done you know real evil and uh Hildegard and the people kind of figure out that this is definitely not Odin and oh also now that Igron's gone he's not maintaining the glamour on Mangog anymore so he just looks like Mangog yeah um and everybody's like oh shit where's Odin um and then Thor Climbs out of the rubble and is like, all right, we're fucking done here. Now that I finally know what's going on uh, and I'm free. And they they go to rip shit. Uh, Mangog realizes he's probably going to get his ass kicked because he's had his ass kicked in this kind of fight before. Runs for the throne room, tearing through walls to try and pull the sword from its scabbard. Um, Thor hot on his heels. Manages to get in between Mangog and the scabbard. And while they're fighting, Mangog begins to grow weak and discorporate. Yeah, and everybody's just kind of like, what the fuck happened? Uh, And basically, since, since Mangog was maintained... Because he was empowered initially by Egron by drawing off the life force of the Asgardians. He was maintained by the worship of the Asgardians. Now that he's been exposed as no longer being Odin, he is not being worshipped any longer, and so he starts to dissipate. Um, And so everybody has their celebratory moment. Hooray! End of issue. Uh, I I like... Let me say this. I like Thor. Mm -hmm. The concern that I have with Thor as an ongoing at this point is that after a while, when it comes to the Asgardian stuff... It's always going to be a variation of Odin is gone, slash dead, slash insane. What do we do? Uh, and, you know, that honestly, like, going into this storyline, I was like, oh, great. Odin's insane. Hooray. And then it's like, oh, it was actually Mangog. Interesting. Anyway, still really worried about where we're going to go in the long run. Uh, But, you know, there's always Walt Simonson to look forward to. So, yeah. 
Daredevil number 139 is uh, written by Marv Wolfman, who I apparently wrote down as Barv, uh, but whatever. Penciled by Sal Bushima, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by John Costanza. Okay, I... wait. <laughs> the, the way that I started reading this was, well, that was actually pretty good. And then I get Daredevil. Oh, God. And then I turn, and we start this story, and it's Daredevil, and it's the fucking Beetle, and God damn it. Well, no, that's next issue. That's next issue? That's next issue. Oh, wait. This no. is the one with the junkie and the hemophiliac. Right. This one's not great. Go ahead. Sorry I interrupted you. You're fine. I was simply going to say, I will say, I find it funny that at the beginning of this, they acknowledge the annual in which he he crossed over with uh, Submariner and Black Panther. What's interesting is in that annual, they're like, yeah, somebody tried to kill Foggy. And they said, don't worry, we'll deal with that in Daredevil's own book. We're now in Daredevil's own book, which is acknowledging... The annual, and we do not deal with that. Uh, so, but he's back in New York, and he's just like, "Cool, I'm home." Heather, cool, get some rest, relax. Oh wait, no, there's something on the radio. Gonna have to deal with that. Meanwhile, there's a woman who comes into a clinic, and so I'm gonna do the Reader's Digest version of this. Okay, just plow through it because honestly. This is, it's fine. It's not the worst, but... It's really not the worst, Daredevil. But it's not super great either. No. Um, a mother has lost her son who's run away. The son is a hemophiliac, so the mother's like, Oh God, if he even scratches himself, he won't stop bleeding. Uh, meanwhile, so a doctor calls the police and is like, We gotta find this kid. And the police are like, we got uh, our own issues. There's a bomber who's blowing shit up looking for his wife. The wife is a junkie. She's out buying drugs or attempting to, but she doesn't have any money. In addition to... The, so, all of these... Yeah. All of those It turns things. out that the junkie is the wife of the bomber. The bomber is insisting that the police find his wife. Uh, and the or wife. he will keep blowing shit up. And the, the wife. wife is the junkie who got hooked on drugs when their daughter got hit by a car uh, and has just tried to find peace in oblivion. <clears throat> and, the, and, the, and the wife has run into the hemophiliac child. Who, of course, has scraped himself and is now bleeding everywhere. So she's like trying... She's trying... She's got the warring... Uh, motives, motivations of help the kid, but also I'm dying for a fix. Uh, Daredevil goes plowing around looking for any information he can about the wife. Yada, yada, yada. The kid survives. The, the bombings stop. The husband um, agrees to stop bombing, provided that she gets into rehab. Uh... At the, end of, at the end of it, 
we've got this whole thing about like Daredevil's just like happy because like the son is back with his mom and has been given a coagulant. The bomber is stopped and actually, and the wife is getting help. The uh, pushers that Daredevil was pumping for information. He gave the police all of the information he had about them. So a bunch of them got arrested. And so it's all a very nice, happy wrap-up. And a lot of good was done. As he swings away, uh, there's a couple that are standing there. And the husband's like, ugh, superheroes. Jameson is right. They're, they're a blight on society. And she's like, seriously, like, what have they ever done for anyone but themselves? And it's just like, okay. I I see what you did there. Yeah, I also don't know why I see what you did there, but I I don't know why you did it. It's like you know, what's your what's your what's your play here? I think we all know the plight of the superhero man, but if we've read Spider-Man, we know. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> the Daredevil actually usually gets, you know, pretty good reception when he shows up. Yeah. With the exception of that weird time when everybody thought he killed a bunch of cops. He was, uh, anytime he shows up to a crime scene, the cops are usually like, oh, good, you're here. Yeah. Anyway. Daredevil number four, 140, again, I feel like is one we can pretty well blow through. We can. I th- the actual plot. We yeah. can talk about it. But, I think uh, I liked this one, though, which is uh, fucking weird. The Daredevil's out and about. He stops a bus that's, uh, the driver has had a heart attack. manages to get everybody out alive. Um, And then he is informed that down in Florida, the gladiator has escaped from prison. Uh, Why does New York keep sending all their... Oh, I guess he got apprehended last in Florida. Yeah, he was in Florida when he was last arrested. Uh, They're like, well, maybe he'll be smart and he'll just make a break for South America or something. And Daredevil's like, well... The gladiator has never been one for uh, doing what he ought to. Uh, so, gladiator, of course, hijacks a train, kicks all the people off, He and it turns out he's working with the Beetle. Uh, Daredevil receives word that they have hijacked a train and are on their way to New York. He heads to the train station right as the train plows into the concourse. Uh, he gets there, starts battling Gladiator and Beetle. There's a whole lot of back and forth and back and forth, on and on and on, until eventually the Gladiator, uh, winds up using his saw blades on Beetle. Beetle starts wigging out and being like, I'm dying! I'm dying! Uh, Daredevil is then able to focus on Gladiator and beats the ever-loving shit out of him. Uh, the day is saved. You know what? For a fucking Beatles story, I don't hate it. It's really fast and it's mostly fight. And I like Gladiator is so dumb that he just immediately gets on a train and hijacks it as soon as he possibly can. I don't know. It's, it's the, it's a, to me it's a decent Daredevil story because it's just... Pedal to the metal, here we go, we're going to have a fight for 20 pages. Yeah, you don't really have a chance to focus on how bad Daredevil is right now. Yeah. So, 
that's a win, I guess. It is. So. Also, with the very end, we get another one of those weird continuity what? Where he threw Gladiator into a newsstand and there's a copy of Tomb of Dracula and Nova that in the uh, in the wreckage, which is always like, wait, what? How do... What? Well, remember, Marvel Comics exists in Marvel Comics. <laughs> All right. Yo, dog. I heard you like... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Uh, for me, number five, uh, Jane and the knife fight, because it was cool. Just, yeah. I don't have anything much more than that. It was just like, the circumstances to get us there were a little silly, because she had to have known that they were never going to give her Thor. But at the same time, like, the idea of it is insane enough that I'm happy I got to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, number four is uh, the Misty... Just, how Misty and Colleen's relationship basically just hatched fully formed. And that's really cool. And it's evident in, in the book. Or in the Iron Fist book as well. Uh, number three, Thena wanting to murder everyone in Eternals. Uh, that was pretty great. Throughout the entire thing, she's just got like this simmering... Simmering's not right, but like withheld. Uh, there's rage there that she's just like, okay, held back, I guess. Um, yeah. Number two, Fandral on the ledge in uh, Marvel Spotlight 30. Whoops. Didn't think about this too well because I was going to say number one was Marvel Spotlight number 30. Uh, and that was a number two was a contributing factor so oops uh i don't know the whole issue was just too much fun yeah to be ignored that even though you know it's the kind of thing that it would never it's not sustainable like you say it's not sustainable in the least but god damn that was a fun time so i i enjoyed i yeah so that's why i'm gonna i'm that's me i'm doing that Tripped all over myself. All right. Uh, I do want to say real quick that while we were uh, getting ready to record, I did just notice a uh, a new piece of information regarding news and junk. Uh, the new Mutants movie. Finally gets a release date? Yeah. Next week? <laughs> April. Oh. Uh, April 8th. If you've, if you've not been following the new Mutants movie, it's had a lot of problems. It's been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. It's had reshoots, yada, yada, yada. Apparently, it is scheduled to be released April 8th, and it is going to be the original version of the movie that they had before <laughs> the reshoots. So, I, I am honestly, I'm honestly surprised because I thought... Once, uh, once Disney bought the new, the Fox Studios, I figured this was never going to see the light of day. So, 
That's surprising to me. I, yeah. Uh, wow. Anyway. Uh, so my top five. Uh, number five, I really like John Byrne's art in Iron Fist. Uh, I can't wait to read some more X-Men. Uh, because then we'll get to the point where he does X-Men as well. Mm, excuse me. And uh, I am... On board for that. Uh, number four is uh, <clears throat> the uh, the Warriors three. Uh, Marvel Spotlight number thirty was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I wish more stuff with the Warriors three uh, could be like that. Yep. Um, number three. Is uh, Danny actually like mourning his family? Oh yeah. Uh, number two is uh, the Celestials. Uh, getting to see them just out in the world was a lot of fun. Uh, and number one is Jane was just even even before the Sif thing this week. Jane was kicking ass and taking names. I was actually um, kind of disappointed that they turned her into Sif. Well... Like, I knew she wasn't going to go full-on riding into battle, like, that kind of thing, because that's not really her mode, even right. when she's kicking ass. But, like, I, I was sort of hoping they'd figure out something for her to do behind the scenes before it was Mangog. And before the Sif thing. So I was, I was, I didn't hate it, but I was a little disappointed. I'm, what, what disappoints me is the fact that this change was precipitated by her absorbing the spirit of Sif. It sucks that this couldn't just be a natural change in her character. Yeah. Uh, but this is where we're at now. So whatever. Like, kind of take what but, I can get. Uh, but she did. She kicked massive amounts of ass this week, and I was I was there for that. Um, so yeah, uh, that is that is that. Uh, next week we have a whole lot of cap, um, a single issue of Marvel Spotlight, and then we have the first three issues of Nova. Um, oh, cool. Which is, I'm, I'm torn about because, uh, after I got way into the character in, uh, in Annihilation, I went back to try and read the old Nova and they're, they're rough, (laughs) but whatever. Like I I love Nova, so let's do it. Um, but yeah, that's literally all we have is just Marvel Spotlight, Nova, and then a whole bunch of Captain America. So, um, but we are going to do the 200th issue of Cap next week. Uh, stuff like that. So join us then. Uh, I do want to say I have added the new artwork for Mara or for Watcher's Guide to the RSS feeds. So that should be appearing on the actual 
um, iTunes and Google Play directly. Um, we did, I, I got in touch with some artists to try and get us some new cover art. Uh, if you don't follow us on Facebook or Twitter, uh, you should, but we, uh, we premiered some new artwork that we had done by a, uh, an artist named, that goes by Pachibel. Uh, I, did you watch the stream they did? I didn't make it. Okay. Well, Pachibel is awesome. Uh, I really like their art. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, we have, we have the artwork up on the website, uh, and, uh, with attribution and everything. We have their Twitter is at Pachubel, and then we also have their website on our website, so you can go and check out some of their other artwork. They do do commissions, uh, and yeah, so thank you for that, because that was really cool, and I'm really happy with it. Um, so yeah, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us both individually and at Watchers Guide MU. Uh, email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. That is it for us. Have a marvelous week. Bye. Bye.